Amen. Please be seated. We continue with our, our series of End of the Big Story. And um, once again, reminding us that God is uh, the author of this incredible narrative about the way things are. That God has been creating uh, from the beginning uh, a story. And we're an integral part of that story. I think one of the fascinating things about story in general is we can think of it as being made up, but most stories are not. Most stories are simply told. You tell stories when you sit down at, your, uh, at the dinner table. You tell stories along the way. You tell stories about um, your family. And if you want to hear some really great stories about a grandchild, you can talk to Dee or me. And we'll tell you stories about Luke. And, um, and we'll show you pictures. It'll be a picture story. Because um, uh, he doesn't talk a lot. But um, it's, it's this remarkable sense that this story about the way things are in the world, who gets to say the way that is? There are a lot of voices that want to say this is the way things are. Most of them are negative. God has the right, because God is the author, not only of our salvation, but the author of all that is, to say, this is the way things are. Pay attention. Pray with me. God, we pray that in this story that we look at today, we will um, pay attention. We will see ourselves. We will find out where we fit in the grand scheme of your world. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the book of Judges today. Uh, we've been looking at different stories. Uh, last week we talked about, um, oh, who did we talk about last week? David and Goliath. This week is Samson. We're going to take a look at Samson and all, but, but Samson is one among many in uh, the book of Judges. The book of Judges is basically, at some point, God repents of the fact that he allowed Israel to have kings. And, uh, and Israel kind of repents of it as well. And, and the government that gets set up is we will have a series of judges. Um, and the judges were people that just simply um, discerned uh, the disputes of the people they weren't leaders in the sense of that, but they were the people that, that sat in the judgment seat and discerned uh, right and wrong in the community of Israel. So how does judges fit into the big story? Because it seems kind of minor when you think about it. The main plot of judges comes from the second chapter, and if you want to look at it, you're welcome to but the first two verses say this, Judges chapter 2. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bohem and said, I brought you up from Egypt, talking to the people of Israel, and brought you into the land that I had promised your ancestors. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, my promise with you. For your part, do not make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. Tear down their altars, but you have not done it. They will become your adversaries. 
The book of Judges is all about the purpose of having a people of God in the world. If you think about what the major issue is in the Bible, it's idolatry. It's not, it's not sex, and it's not money, unless they get elevated to the level of being idols. But anything can get elevated to that. Anything. We, we tend to want to uh, shrink down what we consider to be um, the sin or the, the, the missteps or the misdirection of humanity into behaviors that we can name and point a finger at. The scripture just looks at it and makes it really big. Said, so listen, I've made a promise with you and I'm not going to break it. And I told you, for your part, you're to go into the promised land and remove the idols, remove the altars that are to all the other gods, little g. And in that land, you will worship the one God who made everything. See how that's working? Going in and reducing all the little gods, all the things that say this is the way it is to the one God who has the right to say this is the way things are. And our job is to humbly assert that reality. But they didn't do it. And in the book of Judges, they removed the kings, and now you've got people that are just going to help them uh, take one step after another. Israel was asked to remove the idolaters and the idols from the land. When they failed to do so, they became their adversaries and their gods became a snare to them. Their gods ended up being a snare, an entrapment for the people of Israel. There are three judges that you probably know. Um, Two are, are famous, one not so much. But um, you know Gideon. Uh, Gideon, uh, you know, what in youth ministry, if we were talking about Gideon, he was the first one with a motorcycle. He rode on in triumph. And you didn't get that, did you? Um, let's try again. <laughs> but, but that's, you know, that's a really old youth ministry thing. Really old. Um, and dates me, I know. But most, remember, most Christians will remember the story of Gideon and the fleece, laying out a, a, a fleece, a lamb's fleece, and trying to discern what God wants out of it. And he sets forth the parameters, and if there's dew on it, if it's wet on one side, then it's this answer. If it's dry, then it's that answer. And most of us have been told or shared uh, this story as a way of trying to figure out what does God want us to do. So I know Christian people, they'll put out a fleece. If they don't like the answer, they'll do it again. And then, and then if they don't like that, then it's best out of five. And then, it, you know, odds keep changing until they get the answer they want. But um, Gideon for Gideon's part was a warrior. And all of the battles and things that, that Gideon went through um, are listed. The second judge that you may not actually know very well um, is a woman by the name of Deborah. Deborah was lesser known probably because she was a woman. 
and this is a male-dominated writer's group. And, uh, and so the fact that Deborah is listed is pretty amazing and a great description for us because what happened under Deborah was that there was 40 years of peace. 40 years of peaceful existence, probably because she was a woman and not a warrior. And she sat in judgment over the people and judged rightly. And it was remarkable to have that kind of peace. The Roman Empire, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the Pax Romana and the, the peace of Rome, but the peace of Rome was won by war. It just meant that the Romans weren't losing. That's all that the Pax Romana meant. They won. And then there was Samson. And you all know the story. I'll ask you this question. I was at a, um, a pub outside of Williamsburg with a group of other pastors and people uh, learning how to lead new work and uh, new fresh expressions of church. And we went to this pub quiz one night and uh, they asked a question about Samson. And it's not the only reason I'll never appear on Jeopardy, but... <laughs> There's lots of reasons why, but one would be, I guaranteed if I was on it, they'd have biblical questions that I didn't know, and I'd embarrass myself and the whole church. So here's the question. How many braids did Samson have in his hair? Braids. He just didn't have chaos. He had braids. It wasn't just hair. He had braids. Anybody know? We guessed... So many. And our final guess was four. No, that was wrong. There were seven, of course. Seven, this wonderful number that the Bible keeps using, right? Of some sense of completion. And so well, we didn't get it right, but he had seven. And uh, it's, again, why, one of the reasons, many reasons why I'll never appear on Jeopardy. Um, but think about Samson. Last week, we talked about Goliath. And Eugene Peterson talks about a Goliath-dominated imagination. The vitriol and violence and the foulness that came out of Goliath as his voice echoed across the valley and you couldn't get it out of your head. Samson was Israel's Goliath. This big, powerful, uh, undefeated warrior who made everybody else look small. Samson, you know, after uh, he was married to Timnah um, and, uh, and he defeated the Philistines single-handedly, it seems like, and he... Uh, he did that with the jawbone of a donkey. I mean, just this incredibly powerful person. His Achilles heel, Delilah. We know what happens. Delilah seduces him. He allows himself to be seduced. He puts himself in position. It's not all on her. 
And she finds out the source of his strength and cuts off his hair. He's eventually uh, powerless, blind, unable to act as he had. And he appeals to God, let me do one last thing, let me destroy my enemies. And God grants him his wish, but it's his downfall as well. Samson's strength was his idol. And it was his destruction. It gave him an arrogance. And eventually it took him down. The main adversary in the scripture again is idolatry. And it became a snare to Samson. He, like others, did not remove the idols from the land. He was complacent about God's expectations. Listen to how Frederick Buechner describes idolatry. He says, Idolatry is the practice of ascribing absolute value to things of relative worth. Let that sink in. Idolatry is the practice of ascribing absolute value to things of relative worth. Under certain circumstances, money, patriotism, sexual freedom, moral principles, family loyalty, physical health, social or intellectual preeminence, and so on, are fine things to have around. But to make them the standard by which all other values are measured, to make them your masters, to look to them to justify your life and save your soul is sheerest folly. They just aren't up to it. I love this comment. These things that we would make into ultimate realities, that we would make into an absolute value of things that are of relative worth, they just aren't up to what we have them become in our lives. So, Here's the question. What in your life that has relative worth have you elevated to an absolute value that isn't God? What things? I mean, it's real. I mean, I watch culture over a long period of time. It's real simple to think of how we have elevated family and the security of family to an ultimate value. But you can't protect your family. We have a very good friend. We had to take her 30-some-year-old daughter off life support this week. And she had no control over that. To elevate something like family to an ultimate space in our lives. They're just not up to it. I don't believe she'd done that, but we do that. Patriotism, I don't care what party you're part of, actually. 
But as soon as you elevate it to preeminence over the other person and over your commitment to the values of the kingdom, it's an idol. Money. We've talked about all these things before. Putting your retirement goals ahead of being compassionate and caring and generous becomes an idol. Morality itself. What few things do you think are the absolute worst things that people can be doing? And you have judgment for it. You've already condemned them. Uh, They're going just straight to hell. It's an idol. It's not the way God works. Watch people working out, being fit. Obviously, I'll never be accused of this idol. Um, but, But you can see it. You can see the obsessions. You can see the addictions. Just take any addiction and put it in somewhere and you'll know what a person's idol is because what the addiction does is it takes preeminence in your life that becomes the only thing you care about. And addiction happens in lots of different ways. Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's intellectual and emotional, sometimes it's uh, just the way you're wired in your brain. And it, it, it grabs you. Spirituality can do it. You can put your spiritual practices even above God. And especially if you put them above other people. They become idols. Intellectual achievement, diplomas, I've got a bunch of them. I could introduce myself with lots of titles. Trust in that would be an idol. What do you look to to justify your life? Past accomplishments? How much you know? Idols. Those things that are not God that hold our gaze. I love that description of an idol. It's anything that holds our gaze where we become fascinated by it. And all of a sudden, we're not looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter to our faith, but we're looking to this thing because it's grabbed our attention. In the movie The Mission, Robert De Niro's character is that of a Spanish slave trader in South America. And um, in his character, he uh, uh, has enslaved the indigenous people of South America, of some of the, the uh, mountainous tribes there. And he has a conversion experience in that movie. And as... Part of his conversion, he um, exercises penance. What will I do to demonstrate that I am sorry for what I've done? 
And he has a, his armor that represented the slave trade that he trusted in. It was the thing that protected him, his guns and his, and his armor. All that stuff was what made him safe as he enslaved people. And in this movie, he is uh, carrying all that in a big bag. And you'll see in this clip what it's like.
Whatever Samson thought, you can adjust this. Whatever Samson thought his strength was, it wasn't in his hair. In fact, the cutting off of what he thought was his salvation, his strength. Cutting it off was perhaps the salvation moment. Freeing, freeing him from the idolatry of what he thought was the thing that kept him safe. Much like cutting off this man's burden and pushing it back over the cliff. That what we, whatever we think is the way it is, is not the way it is. And I think for Samson, there's salvation in the moment where what's left is the only place to turn is to God. And it ends up being the end. But as a Christian, I would say it ends up being the beginning of new life. I don't know what it is for you, but what holds your gaze day in and day out. Our idols will pull us back over the cliff. He was Israel's Goliath. Samson-oriented imagination was how the people were living. And they needed a God-centered imagination to go forward. God isn't going to use earthly means to achieve heavenly goals. For this congregation, friends, we're going to be surprised again and again of what God asks us to do. And things are going to come our way that seem circumstantial, that seem like coincidence or whatever. God has something to do in us and through us. And we can't manufacture it. We're not going to get smarter and be smarter in doing what we need to do. But we're going to be asked to be faithful people and go where God takes us. And stop looking at everything except Jesus. The big story is that God will cut off our idols and clear the land and a space for us to be truly alive. May we have eyes to see, ears to hear, faith to follow. Amen. Pray with me.